Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Hello and welcome. It's Jason Lynette here once again with an outstanding hypnosis conversation for you to listen to, learn from, and enjoy. Though this is a conversation that some of you might have already heard before as early in the week of the release of this, this was actually done as a webinar featuring Terry Stokes. Though the feedback has been outstanding, we've decided to share it here in this podcast format just the same. Terry Stokes is a legend in the stage hypnosis industry. There are many outstanding full-time performers that are there that really can credit their success to the learning that they've received from Terry Stokes. He is somebody who is known for his originality, his approach to crafting original routines, his very laid-back natural style, and at one point he had the longest-running show in Las Vegas. So with that in mind, let's jump right into this. This is done in preview of a training event that's going to be happening in Las Vegas. Vegas in May 2017. Learn more over at terrystokeslive.com. In the meantime, let's jump right in. This is session number 106, Terry Stokes on Stage Hypnosis Secrets. All right. Hello and welcome, everybody. It's Jason Lynette here for a very, very special uh, online workshop here. Here today with Terry Stokes. Terry, how are you? I'm better than I deserve. Good to see you this morning. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Uh, this is Stage Hypnosis Secrets with Terry Stokes. We've got the upcoming live training coming up in Las Vegas on May 16th and 17th. This is Better Your Best with Terry Stokes. And we're going to get into the details of that presentation, that live training event, a little bit later in this program here today. Though uh, the, the fun of this one is that I didn't have to work so hard uh, because as soon as I mentioned to everybody who's here, here, uh, who is going to be with me here today? The questions were rolling in already, and uh, I am prepared. I don't have to work so hard here. <laughs> uh, so needless to say, Terry, we're going to go through every single one of these in vivid detail. I hope you have about seven hours. Sound good? Works for me. And I'll give a bit of a brief introduction, a bit of an overview, and then Terry, I'd love to uh, bounce over to you in a few moments just to elaborate on some of these details. Uh, what I'm excited about uh, spending time with you here today about is the whole concept of originality in stage hypnosis, the originality in terms of developing your own character, developing your own stage presence, and especially in a profession which at one point I was hideously guilty of this, of doing a program where it was the same five or six routines that yeah. everybody else was doing. Are you there? Uh, you, you've locked up on me. I don't know. Okay. The wonders of technology, it may come in and out, but the, the replays will have all the details for us. Uh, okay. Terry, at one point, was uh, voted as Las Vegas Entertainer of the Year and at one point had the longest-running stage hypnosis show in Las Vegas history. Uh, he's the author of four books as well as 37 different audio and video video products. And uh, Terry, would you give a little bit more of your story for those of you that are, are brand new to you, perhaps? Uh, I fell in love with hypnosis when I was in college. I went to see a gentleman by the name of Jack Berry doing a show in Atlanta, Georgia. It was during spring break, and I was so, at first I didn't believe it, like, like most people, the first time they see it. And I went back night after night, and finally the last night of spring break, I volunteered to be in a show. And at the end of the show, I was on the pool table of the club with my pants around my ankles. And I thought, you know what, this is real. Uh, 
I fell in love with it. It became my life's passion. University of Georgia, I changed my major. Uh, and when I got out of school, I went, went into business with Jack Berry, actually, at the Atlanta Hypnosis Institute and did therapy for a few years. Um, after about two years of doing therapy, I was telling a weight control class one night, if you're not happy doing what you're doing, that's part of your problem. You need to do what makes you happy. And I went back to my office and I thought, if that's such good advice myself, thinking what originally made me excited about hypnosis was the show. So I went to Jack and I asked him to teach me a show. And he, he balked at first. He said, no, because I do my show. And he said, if I teach, I'm afraid you'll try to be me. And after weeks of talking to him, he finally got a promise from me that I would always do my own material. I would never do his stuff. He said, I, he said I'm going to give you three bits to start with. And he, uh, 55 years later, I'm proud to say with, uh, with very few exceptions, I've never done anybody else's material. And those exceptions are... I once approached Anthony Cools, who was doing a bit that I thought was so funny. I said, Anthony, my routines or any, any, any of them that you want, if you'll give me your permission to use this that you wrote. And he did. He's a very gracious and nice man. Uh, and I approached someone else and asked them if I could do their bit. And they said, oh, it doesn't matter. I stole it from someone else. <laughs> that, that I love, but I've never done mm -hmm. because it's, it's not mine. I, I've always felt that if it's not yours, if you don't write it, um, it's how can you call it your show? So for years and years, my, my biggest bitch about our business has been that people don't write their own material and they, 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 they do. Everyone does everyone else's stuff. So this year I decided, actually, I was at a, at a motivation class. It occurred to me, I started doing some self-analyzing. Well, if I'm so unhappy about that, I should do something about it. And then I realized that most people have never been taught how to write material. They, they, uh, they go to a class, they learn how to do a show, they memorize it, uh, and they don't really understand what makes it funny. And, and looking at your, the, where you got your questions from, uh, I saw someone, uh, and I never met the gentleman, but I've seen a lot of his writings, and he seems to be very knowledgeable. But someone asked, uh, who a question was, do as many shows as you possibly can, and that's better than any training you can get. And I thought about that. I've seen people do really bad shows, but they practice it so well. They do a bad show really, really well. Mm. And that's that's not uh, that's not making your show any better. It's just making what you're doing wrong smoother. And I said all of that to say this: that's the reason uh, that we've decided to do this. Better your best. Better your best. The reason for the name: Better your best. I've had several people say, why would you call it that? Because I don't think anybody that I've ever met goes out and tries to do less than their best ever. Every time that you walk on stage, it's in your mind that you're going to do the best job that you possibly can. And I'm sure everyone do does that or they at least try to do it, even when they're having a bad night. Uh, the problem is most of us don't know how good our best can be. And that's why we, we call it better your best to take what you already have and make it as good as it can possibly be. Well, it goes back to that phrase that many people would use the statement that uh, practice makes uh, perfect. And no, practice only makes permanent. So uh, out of all these years of doing programs, what's your favorite part of uh, this came from Debbie Yaffe? Uh, Debbie Yaffe. Uh, what's your favorite part of doing shows these days? Uh, you know, that is actually a difficult question. The diff now I'm doing family shows. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm opening theaters around the country, and we're, we're doing the family shows. I'm, I'm loving seeing the, the grandparents, the parents, and the kids all sitting in a room, all being able to enjoy the same kind of show. Most shows that the families go to, the parents sit there bored while the kids laugh, or the, or, or the parents have a good time, and the kids are sitting there thinking, oh, God, I can't believe I, that my folks made me do this. Our show, your show, 
all of us in the business, we have a show that everybody can enjoy together, uh, the, the entire family. So that would probably be one of my favorite parts of it. You bring up the theme of writing um, and it's even going back to some of the you know classic comedy formats of looking at even like the Warner Brothers cartoons that there was humor inside of it that the kids would laugh at and there were jokes that the parents were laughing at differently to look at, uh, you can tell I was raised on cartoons, uh, to look at <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle that to watch it at a later age, suddenly it's like, oh, wow, they're really going there with that joke. Now I understand it. But, you know, the conference that you and I were just at, uh, if you recall, one of the things that was discussed over and over by uh, almost every speaker was, should you do adult material or should you do family material? And people were going back and forth over that. Should you do an adult show or should you do a family show? Why not just learn how to do a show so that no matter who your audience is, if it's, if it's people that want to see adult material, if you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you can write material on the spot, it doesn't matter what arena you're thrown into, you can pull a show off. And that that was that was one of my that was one of the things that uh, made me more confident in the program that we're putting out, out right now. Because if you learned a, learned a family show, then you think that's the only kind there should be. If you learned an adult show, well, that's I don't I don't like kids in the audience. I don't I'm not a kids performer. Well, you're an entertainer. You should be able to entertain any crowd. And it's that statement too that even in the comedy world, they'll see someone who's working clean and assume if pressed they could do the other show. Yet they won't mm -hmm. often go that opposite direction. Exactly. Well, Bill Cosby uh, mm -hmm. used, used to say, you know, if, if you if you have to get vulgar to to get a laugh, then then you're really not that. Um, hey, this was a question that actually popped up from several people. Uh, you know, the theme of writing new routines. Uh, how is it, what's kind of your process of testing it out? Is there sort of a, let's call it an incubation phase of really workshopping it on your own and then it's put in? What's kind of your journey in terms of how you decide what goes in and what sticks? Yesterday, we were doing a mastermind group uh, here in Fort Walton Beach. And there's there were five of us sitting there. And we were talking about how you come up with ideas for material. We picked random objects and started talking about them. We came up. Uh, with the process that I teach, in about minutes, we came up with nine brand new routines that no one had ever done. Somebody came up with some ideas that they'd seen before, and we el immediately eliminated those. We talked about them, got rid of all the complications. Most people try to make their bits way too complicated for an audience to follow or for, or for a volunteer to follow. We got them down to simplicity, and last night we put three of those bits in the show. Uh, one of them worked perfectly. Two of them were refined today. So you, you, you start with a concept, you whittle it down to where you think it's going to work, then you try it, you figure out why it doesn't, why it's not getting the response that you wanted, and redo it. See, one of the problems that I have, and the, the, pardon my bitching again here, but with people just doing other people's material, I, I, I was showing clips from other people's shows, and a lot of the clips that I showed, that people were doing my material. The thing that bothered me the most about it was they, by they saw an idea, they thought it was funny, and they thought they copied it. But they missed what actually made the bit funny. Mm -hmm. they, they, they missed two or three words in the setup that made it funny. They didn't understand that the setup needs to be almost as funny as the bit itself. And they missed, and they, uh, a lot of your, uh, some of your viewers have probably said, oh, I saw a bit once, I tried it, it didn't work with my crowd. Mm -hmm. It's because you didn't understand what, what was funny about the bit in the first place. And it could be, a, a word, it could be an aside, it could be a, a, a look or a gesture that makes the routine work. And if you miss that, 
that's why when you write your own, you understand why it's funny. And you can make it work for an adult show. You can make it work for a family show. Are you familiar with the comedian Emo Phillips? Yeah. I saw him live recently, and they actually did a Q&A after their show. And I think he has the credit of being one of the most ripped-off comedians out there. And I got to ask him, what's your favorite joke that people tell of yours that people get wrong? And his joke was, uh, I lent a friend of mine $10,000 for plastic surgery. Now I don't know what he looks like. And he actually uh, told the story of seeing someone tell that joke, but leave out the element about the plastic surgery. I lent a friend of mine $10,000 for surgery, and now I don't know what he looks like. And there's no laugh yeah. because it was that missing element where, again, from the, the, from the mindset of understanding what makes it funny and, uh, you know, knowing, you know, I, I came from a background in theater and it warmed my heart when I was watching one of your videos the other day. And there you were quoting uh, Music Man to kick it off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let's kind of bring it over to the hypnosis side of things. So, so outside of the writing, uh, what is often your criteria when when you're actually doing the presentation, when you're doing the program, what's your mental process in terms of deciding who you keep on stage with you and who you let go of? I have to back up a minute. To, yes. To, I, I worked in a lot of the shows that I was looking at. Yes. Um, a lot of people that had two and three rows of chairs and they had tons of people on stage. And if you pick your volunteers properly, I mean, I, I don't agree with come on up, be my guest. Let's fill up all the chairs because you're going to get all of the same type people going to get people from the same group. I, if you pick your people properly, I take eight people on stage and I usually keep six or seven uh, with six or seven. I can, I can make a good show. Now uh, I sell, believe it or not, I sell just as many videos doing that because of, of the, of the way that we do it. Uh, but the, the people that I keep, I want someone left on my stage that represents people in the audience. That's why, and I don't say come up and be my guest because I'm going to get all young people that can push the old folks out of the way. No, I love that insight of especially making sure that the the people on stage match the profile of the audience. I think uh, the same panel that you and I were on the other uh, about a couple of weeks back, uh, I had done a uh, high school somewhere in central Maryland and uh, I had a photo of it with permission on a website. And the first thing that a teacher said as she looked at it was, oh, all white kids. Hmm. That there's something to be said about, uh, you know, which I, I hate to have to think that way at times, but it's the perception of the audience. So if they all came from the same group of people, well, you mentioned well, your story of first seeing a stage hypnosis show. Uh, mine was someone came to my college and did a show and he did the come on up and who rushed the stage but most of my friends who at the time were all theater majors. So it became this right. reality where the audience is now checked out because they're going, they're all actors. This is fake, except I'm watching the same experience and having a different response going, wow, my friends are not that good of actors. This is real. Uh, I'm curious about this. Let's kind of transition here with another question. Uh, what's something that happened during a program and that, that really surprised you? Is there a story that stands out of, doing a show where something turned out a different way than you expected. Uh, that's where the, your funniest routines come from there, uh, come from that happening. Uh, there's usually something that surprises me in every show. The one that uh, my most embarrassing moment on stage was I was three weeks into the business and I was at a little nightclub in Atlanta, Georgia. And I had a, I was doing a number missing routine out of directly out of, uh, I think it's, uh, it's hypnotism. And I didn't, I hadn't looked at my people that I was doing with. I just saw a girl, okay, I'm going to do that. And I was whatever number that, and she counted. And I said, okay, put your, put your hands up and count. She put her hands up. She had two fingers on each hand, mm. which 
I was just totally, totally flabbergasted. I had no idea where to go from there. The lady had a total of four fingers. And uh, so her numbers really were missing. That was stunning, but it, but it taught me a huge lesson to make sure. It's like the old attorney thing. Don't have to ask a question unless you're fairly sure what the answer is going to be. Don't put anyone or ask a question unless you're ready to help with the answer or respond to whatever answer you get. And don't put anyone in any situation ever that could cause them true personal embarrassment. Uh, that was uh, a huge lesson. It was started stammering for a few minutes and, and then regained my composure. Uh, but there are all kinds of things that happen with a bit, with a routine that I'm not expecting. And many times what actually happens is funnier than what I intended to happen. I love it. I love it. No, it's where especially some of the best bits will come from the accident. Um, and I'm sure at times you've worked to uh, somehow have that accident happen again, right? Uh, yeah, and it, and it never works as well the second time. <laughs> it never, ever does. Um, but again, if you take every, every idea that happens, everything that happens in a show, a perfect example, just a couple of years ago, I was in Mexico uh, doing a show and uh, at a resort, everyone there spoke, all the guests spoke English. The staff spoke very broken English. I had a, uh, my people on stage and I was at one end working with one person and I looked down and there was a waitress at the other end, you want beer. She had been told by her boss to go in and get a drink order from everyone in the room. She had already gotten it from the audience. So now she had walked up on stage and she was waking up my volunteer <laughs> to get their drink order. That was so funny that uh, we I made it a bit in the show every night. I mean, that, that broke me up so much that I, I literally, or I really could not go on the show for a couple of minutes. So we, we implemented that and made that a part of the show every night. Uh, and it, I made it work well because I was able to get the uh, the producer of the show who spoke per really good Spanish to talk with the staff and convince them that every that when I wanted them to do that and he would tell them when to do it to go wake people up that they would get much better tips. So I <laughs> so I talked with the audience. So all of a sudden now the staff is wanting to be a part of my show because I'm getting the bigger tips. And normally in a situation like that, the people don't tip because they're you know it's an all inclusive resort or something like that. So all of a sudden now the staff is getting tips and people are fighting to be able to work in my showroom. I love it. It's something that just happened. Uh, and it, it was never as funny the second time. It was always a funny bit and it was a highlight of the show. But it was it, it was never as funny as it was the first time I looked down there and I saw the lady with the tray trying to get her drink for it. Outstanding. And this question came from uh, Jimmy G up in Canada all about uh, warming up cold audiences that he was basically saying that uh, – He's discovering, as he put it, how to hypnotize distracted millennials. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, a uh, couple of things. Actually, uh, there's no. It, it is so easy to say, oh, tonight I had a bad audience. Mm -hmm. And once you say that and you give yourself an excuse, then it's easy to go back and do it a second time. Find that three out of five or three out of seven of your shows end up being bad audiences. I had, a, I had a club in uh, Reno a few years ago that uh, I, I ran in a hotel, and I had one waitress that came over and said, why do you always sit, seat the people who don't tip in my section? And it was like she thought we were interviewing people to make sure they weren't going to tip, and we put them in her section. It never occurred to her that she was giving bad service, and that's not why she was getting good tips. My answer to him would be, yes, I'm sure there are cold audiences. Yes, I'm sure they are distracted, but you're expecting them 
you're expecting an audience to conform to your idea of what's interesting and what's funny. Instead, you have to look at that audience and make your bit what's funny to them. A good example last night, I remember this now. I, one of the bits that we tried last night, it wasn't as funny as it should be because I didn't understand it. The, is it watch me na na or watch me? It's a, it's a dance that it's like. Oh, yeah. A, the uh, the uh, watch, me, like, watch me nay nay. Watch me nanny. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And then I had it written written down because I, but we, we had, we had a lot of uh, high school and college kids in there last night. And when I did the bit, the, the reaction was, oh, this old man's audience. The old guy even know about that. But the bit went over well. When you have a memorized show, you're expecting the audience to conform to you. That's not their job. It's your job to read the audience and do what they want. If I could tell you a quick story. Uh, years ago, I was invited to Hong Kong and I was the first uh, English speaking hypnotist to ever go there. Now, I, uh, that my, my big concern was the language barrier, and I was told that more people speak English in Hong Kong than in California. Well, it turns out that was right. But when I, when I started doing my show, the first night we were sold out. Second night, we had about three-fourths of the room. Third night, it was about half a room. My crowds, instead of getting bigger, were getting smaller, and none of the bits were getting the reaction I wanted. And I'm thinking, well, get it. And I said, I don't really think we're going to work here. I don't know if this tour is uh, the way we're going right now. In, in two weeks, we'll have two people a night. He said, oh, but I suggest first that you spend a weekend not working and go to the movies and, and, or go to a comedy show and watch what people are laughing at. The Jerk was just out. You mentioned Steve Martin earlier. The movie had just come out, and I went and I watched sat in the theater. It was one of my favorite movies. And I noticed that what they laughed at, I didn't think it was funny. What I, a lot of times when I was laughing at stuff, I was the only person in the theater laughing. And it occurred to me that I'm trying to make this culture fit my standards of humor. So I changed my bits just to with them. An example of what I did, I was at the time I had just written a bit and I was doing it, it was going over well, where I wouldn't make a big guy a six-year-old little girl, and he had found mommy's purse, and he was going through mommy's purse, and he would find all the wonderful things that would make mommy so pretty when she went out at night, the eyeshadow, the mascara, the lipstick. And the effect was the guy would eventually have makeup all over his face, and then I would have him do it to someone else's. Well, I changed a bit just by saying, well, it occurred to me that uh, in that culture, it would be unthinkable for a child to take mommy's purse. It would be too disrespectful. And go through mommy's purse. So I said, mommy's been t teaching you how to use makeup. <laughs> and she would be so happy and so proud if you had practiced all on your own and gotten really good at it. And I gave him the purse. All of a sudden, the bit worked because I took out the one thing that was making it offensive to them, which was the child was plundering through mommy's stuff. That was too disrespectful. By changing it. And by going through all of my bits and changing the routines to fit them, all of a sudden we were held over there for 18, uh, actually 20, 26 weeks. We started off four weeks and held over for 26. So the uh, to answer that question, I, I tend to go on and on about things. But no, I love that. that. I question, love that. Uh, look look at your audience and figure out how to have to change your material to fit their, to, to fit what they're looking for. Go, what kind of shows do they go to? What do they get involved in? If they don't like the type of stuff you're doing, they're going to sit there and, and play with their cell phone. Mm -hmm. It's not their fault. It's your fault. 
Outstanding. Outstanding. I'm sure uh, the cat juggling worked for everybody in the jerk, right? Yeah, a few bits. It's going to grab everyone. Again, <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, go check that out. Uh, once again, this training that Terry's referenced, it's called Better Your Best. It's going to be out in Las Vegas on uh, it's Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, May 16th and 17th, which is perfect timing as many of us are uh, busy with the grad school season, with the prom party season. I'm actually uh, myself going to be doing doing a program at about three in the morning, uh, napping for a little bit, then jumping on the plane and heading out there myself. Uh, it's going to be at Catherine Hicklin's Hypnosis Training Center in Las Vegas and rooms nearby over at the South Point Hotel. You can check out all the details over at terrystokeslive.com. We'll be sending out those uh, details by email after this event, too. Uh, I'll, I'll share, Terry, a question that popped up a couple of times here. Um, which for this one, I won't reference who it came from. That was several people, though I want to I change it from the negative into the positive, that there were several folks who basically expressed a concern with uh, the number of hypnosis training courses that are popping up and flooding the market with people willing to do programs at a very low dollar. Uh, I, I see that as being a real strength of your program, though, because it's teaching the originality, teaching the stage presence, the crafting of your own material. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Are we really entering into a crowded marketplace here? A, a month ago, I would have been one of the people sending that, actually three months ago, I would have been one of the people sending that question in. Uh, because I see people, cookie cutter hypnotists, they're all doing the same thing. They're doing, uh, they're being handed a script, saying, being told to memorize the script, do this. And there have been classes like that for years, but people have suddenly discovered that uh, there's there's a lot of money in doing that. And my original program was, I wanted, uh, I was going to charge a lot more for it than I'm charging. But then I thought, wait a minute, I, I'm actually trying to solve a problem here, something that I think is wrong with our industry, which is everybody being exactly the same. I, I mentioned in a video that I sent to you that the way it is now, if you've seen one hypnosis show, you've seen them all. And that's very unfortunate. Imagine if every time you went to see a band, they all played exactly the same songs. Well, there would, wouldn't be bands anymore. So I... I would not just teach anyone how to do a course. I've had people ask. I won't mention any names, but uh, the the handful of people that I have trained all have made six-figure incomes with what I've taught them. Uh, some of them in the fair industry, some of them in the uh, college market, but there's there's only been a handful of people. So I've been very, very, very careful about who I taught. It had to be somebody that I really believed could go out and, and make a mark on the industry. Now there are literally hundreds and hundreds, maybe possibly thousands of people out trying to do shows. Well, I've seen this happen a couple of times. I've been doing this for 55 years. There have been a couple of times that our industry almost died out completely because, and again, I'm not going to mention the name, but a few years ago, there was a course that taught everybody. I think it was 495. And people were coming from all over the world to take this, this program to learn to be a stage hypnotist. And I still run into people today, so yeah, I'm a qualified stage hypnotist because I took such and such course like 25 years ago. But what happened was the industry died out because people didn't want a hypnotist anymore. Uh, you you went to see some, you talked with a buyer, and they said, oh, no, no, we tried a hypnotist. It doesn't work with our crowd. Well, of course it would have worked with their crowd, but they had a guy who didn't know what he was doing. He tried to do his cookie-cutter show. So to answer your question, I agree with what they're saying. And I was one of the people complaining loudest about it. But then it occurred to me, over the years, has done not one bit of good. Why don't I actually try to fix the problem? If they're going to be out there anyway, a good hypnotist, a good hypnosis show is good for everyone's business. When I started in the fair business, there was myself, 
and Ben Vandermeid, and Ben was getting ready to retire. We made the hypnosis business so popular in the fare industry that every there are now more hypnotists in the fare industry than, than hot dog vendors. But it's because all of a sudden, people were coming to the fair not to see the headline act, but to see the hypnotist. Now I'm told that uh, where I used to pull in some of the fairs that I worked and I turned over to some other people, that I was drawing five and 7,000 people a show, they've now moved them down to venues where they have three and 400 people a show. Well, in a few years, fairs are going to quit using hypnotists altogether because of that. Every They're all the same. Uh, possibly we can fix that by making everybody better better than they are now and better the, being the best they can be at what they're doing. So I agree with what they say, but instead of just complaining about it, I've decided to try to fix it. I love it. I love it. There, there's a theme I'd love to hear your thoughts on, that you see any good concert, you see any good uh, play, any good production, and there's a balance of let's call it texture in the side of the program uh, that I can reference. Uh, there, there have been times where I've seen a couple of shows one after the other in different venues and it's the, okay, I'm going to play the big loud song. Everyone's going to get up and dance. I'm going to play the big loud song. Everybody's going to get up and dance. And it's basically the same routine over and over as you're, as you're crafting your program, how much thought are you giving to let's call it the texture of the program as the hypnotist, one of my other problems with a lot of hypnotists today is they are the stars of the show. The stars, you have no business being the stars. Your stars are the people in the audience. And that's why I don't think you should lay your stars on the floor. You don't, There's a, a lot of things we will talk about in the class. But as a hypnotist, you should be the director, like the director of a movie. You've seen uh, directors before do this, mm -hmm. where they're framing the shot, right? Well, why do they, that's what it's going to look like to the camera and what it's going to look like to the people in the audience. If you got three rows of people in the back row can't be seen by the people who are on a lower level, the camera can't see them, which means the people can't see them, which means even subconsciously they're irritated by it. But imagine going to see a movie and it's all panoramic shots. The movie's boring. If it's all dialogue shots, the movie's boring. If it's all action scenes, the movie is boring and exhausting. As the director, it is your job to make a masterpiece of you've, you've got some panoramic shots, which are your group skits. You've got some uh, individual shots. If, if it's all panoramic, your group skits, and that's all you're doing, it looks like eventually after about three bits, it looks like mass chaos. People don't know where to, where to look. As the director, it's your job to train your audience and have them looking where you want them to look. That's why you shift over and you do a group skit right there. You don't want your audience looking at that end of the stage when you're doing something on this end of the stage. As the director, you frame every shot and you have to be thinking about like this. What is the audience seeing? What's the camera seeing? Which is one of the reasons why when you're doing a bit and you're doing conversation, that you move from different sides so that people on the left side of the room can, can see the reaction that the people on the right side of the room just saw. So in front and laying out a program, and I, I never think about what I'm going to do until I walk on stage. I, I will not think about it. I don't want to know I, I, because I get my best ideas from looking at people in the audience. But in the back of my mind, I know I'm creating a movie and I'm the director which means I'm in control. I, I Sometimes you feed them the lines. Well, you, you don't depend on your actors to write their own scripts. <laughs> um, so you, and you say, okay, I need, I want a panoramic view to begin with. And then I want to focus in on my stars. And then I want a comedy conversation. And then I want another panoramic view. So that all of a sudden, instead of just watching one thing and you get tired of watching it, you're watching a masterpiece unfold right in front of you. That's the way a good movie even even your pre-talk. You remember the Star Wars movie where the titles were rolling? That was basically the pre-talk. It set up the premise so 
that the rest of the movie, you would accept and believe the rest of the movie. Had that pre-talk or had that scrolling gone on for another minute and a half, the movie probably would not have been nearly successful because most of the people would have been too bored from watching all of this. It was just enough to grab your attention and make it believable. Not enough. It didn't go into all the credits and, and, and all the education and, and, and who Darth Vader was. Just enough to make the story believable. So how do I craft a show? I think of myself as the director of a masterpiece that I'm creating that night. I love it. I love it. So excited to be there at this event. Once again, you can head over to TerryStokesLive.com to see all the details. It's going to be Tuesday and Wednesday in Las Vegas, May 16th and 17th. Details for the hotel. Details of uh, this is being hosted at uh, Catherine Hicklin's hypnosis training center uh there's uh, a mix of people who have already signed up some of them are well-seasoned hypnotists who have been uh, honestly have sent me the message saying i've been waiting for terry to finally do a class like this we also have some folks that are on the newer side of things and just now getting into doing shows they've got experience on the hypnotherapy side kind of similar to how you started out and then they're looking to make that transition. What uh, what benefit would you say um, would be there for the for the let's call them the beginner? They already have some hypnosis training, but now they're looking at learning how to do the stage show, and they're looking at this upcoming event. The benefit will be getting it won't will not be nearly as hard to get them to forget all the BS that they've learned over the years. Uh, <laughs> it, it'll, it'll, once you learn how to do something wrong. And, and it's not working and you're, and you're just stagnant and you're doing the same thing over and over again, it's a habit. And as hypnotists, we know about habits, don't we? They're hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Well, the newbie is going to come and they, they'll take what we say to heart. They're going to learn it the right way the first time. And That's so true. I can reference back to some of my original training and it, it was, here is the show that I started out with. And as soon as I learned something new, as soon as I had crafted a new routine to put in there, even in the format of working with clients here in my office, it's so easy to fall back on the old habits. It's so easy to fall back on just what comes easy as opposed to really putting something new out there and having that confidence. What, what advice can you give to people? Uh, this one popped up from a few folks about, uh, who was it, Deborah asked this one, how is the hypnotist certain and confident that the program is actually going to work before you even pull up the volunteers? May I tell you a story? I love it. Uh, I I tell a lot of stories. One of the first shows that I ever did was in Macon, Georgia, and it was in the basement of a nightclub. And I had booked two shows that night, and uh, Jack had told me that I was good. He thought I could be good. And I went in, and I was married at the time, and my knees were knocking so loud the audience couldn't hear me talk. (laughs) I mean, I was literally shaking. Uh, and I went back, and I got polite applause because, I mean, they, they could see that I'm, this had to be my second show. Maybe it might have been my first show. And I went down to what was my dressing room, which was a closet. And I literally, because I, I had poured everything in this. I wanted this so much. And I, I, I was really ready to just start weeping. And my wife came in, and she said, Terry, you've got to be the dumbest son of a bitch I've ever seen in my entire life. You helped hundreds of people every year you give them the confidence to go out and do what they want to do themselves yet you're too stupid to use it on yourself i sat down and i used self-hypnosis and i told myself that every time my hand touched a microphone i would have all the poise and confidence of dean martin who was has always been my idol and i would have the confidence and the poise of dean martin i went back out and did my second show when my hand grabbed the microphone 
Well, that second show, I got a standing ovation. It's not because I was that good. It was because they saw the improvement that had happened in one hour. Now, believe if you believe in what you're doing, use it on yourself. I had to be 30 years later. I was doing a television interview. And you know how they come in and they pin the lapel mics on. I'd always made a point of grabbing the mic myself and pinning it on. Well, this particular time, I was in conversation and someone just came over and pinned the mic on me. And I forgot to touch the microphone. I was stammering during the interview. Fortunately, it was taped and I was able to say, can we start over? I started stammering and stuttering just like I did at that first show because I had not done the one thing that Triswitz was touching a microphone. I used to carry a little microphone about this big on my keychain. After that, uh, I would take the mic. When I, when I would go in, I would grab that microphone and then put it away. Now, you can call it a superstition, but for me, it worked. Uh, what, uh, another th- pet peeve that I have about our industry is so many hypnotists say, well, no, I can't be hypnotized. Well, do you not know what you're doing? I mean, you tell every, p- people that everyone can be hypnotized. Have you never been in a show? Well, no, I don't want to be in a show. I'm afraid I'd be in if you have never been hypnotized in someone's show, you have no business doing it because how can you possibly know as the host of this party and as the director of the party and as the director, the greatest director started off as actors. If you don't know what the people on that stage are feeling and what they're experiencing, you have no business directing them. Anytime, if I'm someplace and no one and there's a hypnotist and they don't know who I am, I will always get it the show because you need to remind yourself what it feels like to be one of those people. Okay, I'll step down off my soapbox. No, I love that. That was actually uh, an honest turning point for me many years ago that I was kind of the part-time person still maintaining my old job. And I had volunteered for another hypnotist show. He did a program at a high school. It wasn't promoted that well and uh, ended up, I think, with more people on stage than there were in the audience. So the first thought was, yeah, I'll go up there. And suddenly I was doing the things that were being suggested, and then I was hearing them. So, you know, back to a Dave Elman school of thought, the the bypassing of the critical faculties of the mind. Right. It was that moment of going, oh, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the hypnotherapy side of things, oh, yeah, that's right. We're retraining a new automatic response. And from the stage hypnosis side of things, that experience where to really highlight where someone on stage says something absolutely hilarious. They make a really unique choice and it suddenly is bringing that show to even greater levels and to be able to watch that person in that moment and really tell it's a genuine response and be able to gauge who you pick for these individual solo routines. I think that's probably some of the best advice out there uh, to, to just get up there and experience it for yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking as forward to this class. I think is some of the people I've talked to are because I'm, you never stop learning in this business and, and, uh, for example, yesterday, I picked up new routines, some stuff that I'd never thought of that will go on the show. Uh, so did, just like when, when you were talking about you were in the show, how much you learned, I'm expecting to learn a lot myself from this class. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping everyone gets as much out of it as I do, because if they do, it'll be well worth it. If you learn, my thinking is if I get one new idea, one new bit, that's going to make my show that much better. Which kind of brings uh, in one of the one of the bonuses that you've offered inside of this. Again, details over at TerryStokesLive.com that uh, you'd volunteered that you would, as a bonus, uh, review and help fix people's shows who are attending. Tell us about that. That's uh, well. I want to see your best work after you. If you go out and I want to see a video of what you did, and I want to see of what you can do now. And then I, I'd like to be able to sit down and watch the video and 
not tear it apart, but to go through and say, what if you had done it this way? Do you think you would have gotten a better response from the audience? Do you think you would have gotten a bigger laugh? Do you think the person would have responded better to the suggestion had you done it this way or worded it this way? Uh, or instead of making that a group skit, what if you had made it just two people doing it? That way you've got the focus of the audience. They, they know what they're looking at. They know that to laugh at a certain point. So I want to be able to, I want to take videos over the next few months after the class. I'm going to ask everyone to send me a video of what they consider to be their best work. And I'd like to try to even make that better. Uh, not by saying, I, and I, I don't mean to sound arrogant in doing this, but please understand, I have been doing this for 55, oh, probably 55 years. I have done, uh, for a lot of those years when I was in the fair industry, I was doing three shows a day in front of three to 5,000 people per show. When I was doing clubs, I was doing two and three. If you add all that up, I've done a lot of shows, and to survive in this business as long as I have, you have to pick up a few things. So, again, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I I promise you I've tried it the way that you're, that you're doing it right now, and I've tried it this way, and I picked the one that works best. Let me share that with you. Outstanding. And speaking of sharing, there's yeah. a really cool bonus here yeah. of uh, the resell rights to the key. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about the key. Years ago, I did a, a – uh, I was in my 20s. I took a, a – I joined a program called Dare to Be Great. It was uh, Glenn W. Turner's uh, motivation program. And one of the things that I learned in that program was, well, not one of the things, that I, I attribute my success in this industry to the things I learned in that program. Dare to Be Great was actually the forerunner of Tony Robbins's program. It was the first truly great success motivation program. Uh, and I, I, was, I became a, uh, an Adventure 4 instructor in that program. One of the things that bothered me years later was I saw so many people go through the program and not that they would get excited for a while, but they wouldn't live the principles that they learned. They would get jacked up. And then a few weeks later, they were back to the old thing. And it's, I was, it always bothered me. Why did it work for me? It worked for a few people. It should have, I mean, if the principles are true, it should work for everyone. I was talking to a weight control class one night and the answer hit me. The one thing that I had learned that, that I used when I was practicing the principles that I learned in Dare to Be Great, I programmed them into my head with self-hypnosis. I used hypnosis. So the key program, and I, Mr. Turner's retired now. This is how I feel about taking other people's material. I contacted Mr. Turner, and we've since become actually good friends. But I asked for his permission to take the Dare to Be Great course and add hypnosis to it. And that program is called The Key. And the reason I call it The Key is I felt that's what was the only thing that was missing in Dare to Be Great was The Key program. So The Key is six hours of video that I want you to use. Uh but also, I started adding things to it that I thought other hypnotists needed, especially the newbies. You need product. A good part of your income is going to be product sales. To go into a studio nowadays is very expensive. So I've included, I've added to the key a book called Understanding Hypnosis, which has actual scripts for what your main product should be. Weight control, stop smoking, stress management. If you don't want to, if you don't have access to a studio, I also license you with the purchase. By going to this class, you can take any of my 33 different titles and I, you can sell those without paying me any royalties. I'm giving you the rights to sell them. You can put your name on it as as done by Terry Stokes. Uh, and every, everyone has told me well, that's insane. You're letting people sell your products without royalties. The point is, I want the people that are starting in the business and that don't have the tools that they need to be successful. If they're successful, then they're going. It's good for my business. It's good for everybody's business. If 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 they're not successful, if they're pulling up in front of their the place that they're working in a beat up car or in a wagon pulled by a horse, and they're getting out in a 
if they're not making money, then, oh, I guess hypnosis is not a very, which actually, when I think about it, that might be a good thing. They might get some of the people out of the business. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I want, I, I truly want to see people be successful in it. So I'm offering, you can take any of my books and say, uh, you can add your name authored by you and Terry Stokes. Uh, and, and so anyway, authored on the key program or 33 different audio tapes, uh, Four hours of video called Best of Stokes. That's the funniest things that I feel that have happened on my stage in the last 45 plus years. I say 45 because I put the key out 10 years ago. Uh, it's got uh, six hours of the Success Motivation, which is the Dare to Be Great program. It's got a Past Life Regression segment, which is an, an area of hypnosis that a lot of people don't work with, but it's one of the most fascinating areas of hypnosis. Uh, and it's got a special segment for kids' programs, for sports, getting better grades in school, for, and for teenagers. So with this program, you, you get not only a copy of the key, and I don't actually, I don't have one here. This picture's over on the website. <laughs> okay. But you get a key, but you have the rights to everything in there. I'll let you use that. That's outstanding. So once again, this event is going to be Tuesday and Wednesday, May 16th and 17th in Las Vegas. Head over to TerryStokesLive.com to check out all the details. Uh, affordable to fly to, very affordable to stay at. Uh, I actually looked at the South Point website just before we jumped on. I was seeing room rates in the low 60s, uh, you, which... You see Catherine's place, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, you've got to see close. Catherine's uh, hypnosis training center that she's got there. It's... Uh, all your meals are included during the day as well. Your breakfast, your snacks, your lunch. She knows how to class it up for a training. It is a, well, as you, as you know, she is a classy, classy lady. Yeah. Her, her training facility uh, reflects that. Absolutely. You got to see this. So we're going to wrap up in a couple of moments here. And uh, again, I see some uh, action coming in over on the website. Once again, TerryStokesLive.com. Space is limited. So as you're looking at that, sign up early, the bonuses, even the fact of getting your program reviewed. I love the fact that even for the newbies, uh, you gave them a wonderful hypnotic suggestion that they will be going out there doing their show in the first couple of months. Uh, very clever of you. Uh, I'd tell you a quick story, and then I'd love to hear if um, there's something of uh, your experience that kind of mirrors it, that honestly, I'm someone who, kind of similar to you, I've done a little bit in different parts of hypnosis, clearly not to the same level that you have, uh, but I was the stage hypnotist, I've been the hypnotherapist, I've been the instructor, and, and there was an honest moment a couple of years back that I was about to leave behind the shows. I was about to leave behind the performance side because I wanted to be taken seriously as the instructor and as the hypnotherapist. And I'm working at a college in Michigan at the time. And the, the woman who had arranged everything, the program's over, big audience, big attendance, big, uh, you know, wonderful applause at the end. But I'm kind of in my own head going, I don't want to do this anymore. And she's then coming over and she's in tears and my first thought is, what, what the hell did I do wrong? And it's her going, thank you so much. I haven't seen my father laugh like that in years. Uh, so a couple of people were asking if there was ever a moment of, let, let's call it a personal challenge, that being able to be there on the stage, being able to share that experience with the audience really revitalized exactly why it is that we have this great program to share. I'd like to actually share two stories with you, if I might. Absolutely. Uh, the first is a, a similar thing. I, as because I had done therapy before, I started looking at the people coming in. I honestly believe that I helped more people in one day doing a show than I helped in months as a therapist. Make a thousand people, or even five hundred or two hundred people, 
forget for an hour or an hour and a half that they have any problems. If I can make them laugh at themselves, laugh at their neighbors, laugh at the world that they live in and smile, that is the best therapy there is. As a therapist, one of the things you try to get people to do is let go of their problems and realize the joy of the world. Well, if I can get anyone to do that for an hour of their life, they could, there could be. The story I wanted to tell you was a few years ago at the Arizona State Fair uh, that with, they had bleachers. And there was a lady that had been coming to see my show, a huge fan. And at also must was a barbecue. Two great loves, the barbecue, and one was the uh, show. She had a heart attack and was in, and had open-heart surgery. She, but she kept telling her daughter, but well, I, I want to kind of cut to this. They, the, the year after her surgery, they moved the barbecue stand to the other end of the fairgrounds. So she went in, got her seat, and then went to get her barbecue and found out they'd moved the barbecue stand. So she went running to the other end of the fairgrounds, ran back, got her seat, and just as we started the show, stood up and fell over dead. The thing going around the fairgrounds was, oh, I hear, I hear you killing them over at, the, over at your stage. Well, I, I, was, I was torn up about this until about a month later, I got a letter from her daughter. And her daughter wanted to thank me. She said, my mother kept telling her doctors she had to be out of the hospital in time and in, in time to for the fair because she had to go see Terry Stokes. The doctors, when she got out of the hospital, said she didn't have that long anyway. The surgery had not gone that well. But her daughter was thanking me because she said my mother's last moment was doing exactly what she had been wanting to do. She died totally happy because she was sitting there. And I don't know if you remembered or not, but as you were walking through the crowd, you stopped and said hello to her because apparently you'd seen her there before. If that one thing made this daughter losing her mother a little bit easier, if she was able to say, my mom at least died happy, she died doing what she wanted to do. Not so much that the, the, the mother did that, but it was able to ease the daughter's pain a little bit. At that moment, I realized what I'm doing has some value because if it affected her this way, I know it affected somebody else that way too. So it um, it had value. So something that, that made it mean something to me, that's the best example I can give you. Beautiful, beautiful. So looking forward to hanging out with you once again. Again, it's going to be May 16th and 17th in Las Vegas. Definitely event you want to be there in the room to experience. Head over to terrystokeslive.com for all the details. Payment plans are available. That way you can spread out the investment and jump into this outstanding training. Terry, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Jason, thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye-bye. More fun later. Okay. Jason Lynette back here once again, proud to have shared the stage with Terry during this webinar and this podcast session. And once again, head over to terrystokeslive.com to learn more about his upcoming Better Your Best training. terrystokeslive.com. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com.